Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone and welcome to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Now, family dynamics has been the basis of our show for quite a while, and we've spoken about so many different types of relationships, from siblings to parent and child to even extended family. Now, we're going to be branching out a little bit further today and talking about familiar relationships through the perspective of grandparents, how they interact with family members, provide family support, and also how they set boundaries to balance family and their own life. Now with Grandparents Day coming up, we're gonna be asking the help of retired psychologist and grandparent herself, Dr. Robin Mills. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's lovely to be here. I'm really excited about being able to talk about something that I'm so passionate about. Now, like I said, you not only have a professional viewpoint into our topic, but also a personal resonance with the understanding of grandparenthood and what it means to be a grandparent. What would you say is the most common frustration grandparents face when trying to be part of that new family dynamic that's established? I think one of the hardest things is making sure that you don't interfere in the relationship between the parents, because one of the parents is going to be a relative, a daughter or a son, and the other one's going to be an in-law. And it's really important to be able to welcome the in-law in and to be respectful of their wishes in their parenting styles and how they bring up their children. So not being too overbearing, I think, is a really important um, part for the grandparent to be involved, but not to be judgmental. Mm -hmm. And through your own experience, how would you describe your parenting style now as a grandparent compared to how you would parent as a parent? When I was a parent, I had three children. I, I still am a parent. I had three children under three. So, mm -hmm. and I was working. So it was crazy. It was very easy to feel out of control. You know, one child would start having a fight with another and you'd just feel overwhelmed and perhaps behave in ways you don't want to. You'd be yelling or not, you know, not kind because you just felt so overwhelmed and so frustrated. So for me, it was the pressure of being a parent and a working parent without a lot of support because I didn't have um, grandparents that were easily accessible. So my mum had passed away before I had children and my mother-in-law lived a long drive away. And back in those days, long drives were things that you planned in advance, you packed a lunch. You know, going from Geelong to Melbourne was a huge deal. So not having mm -hmm. that sort of support. So that sort of pressure is gone for me now. Now I'm a lot more relaxed as a person. I'm, I'm a lot happier. I know who I am in myself. So what happens now is I can just have fun with the children and, and I don't have any of the pressures that the parents have. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Mm 
No, it sounds it sounds amazing. It sounds like a whole different side of you is sort of peeking out, and now it's it's they get a whole new version of you, which is a whole lot more relaxed. And I think that's how a lot of grandparents and grandchildren feel, which is why that relationship is very different to how a parent and a child is, or um, a grandparent and an adult child is as well. Now, we know that everyone has a very different definition as to what family is to them. And we talk about family a whole lot throughout the episode today. So to start off with, what would your definition of family be? Well, family, as we know now, can be made up of all sorts of different um, people. It can be two female parents, two male parents. It can be really young people. Now it can be people in their 40s experiencing. So that's really shifted over time. There's a lot more single parents than ever before. And of course, that adds another whole layer of stress when you don't have someone else to bounce ideas off or to give you a break. So um, for me, the definition of family is multicultural. It's um, different in every family. And I actually think the children of today are way more accepting of all these different parenting because it's just normal for them. This is just the way it is. You know, this person's just got a dad and this person's just got a mum or they've got two mums and two dads. It's totally different than it's ever been before in society. Mm-hmm. And do you think that the position that family holds it still holds that same importance as it has done in previous years? I do actually think it it holds exactly the same. And I think that certainly the parents of my children watching them, family's probably even more important to them than it was to me. So I see that they actually are able to put in things now that I didn't have the time for and I wasn't able to do. So they always make sure they go away on a little camping holiday or you know, down to a caravan park even, or a big holiday, but they're actually making room to have holidays to keep their family together and to give their children experiences that perhaps um, you wouldn't otherwise get. So I actually see them inputting as much family as they can. I think that's different to the old concept of the family where we believed this is family and family comes first and it was more dogmatic, strong you know, it was something you had to do because you belonged to the family. Whereas what mm-hmm. I see now is this joy of people saying, you belong to a family, you belong to us. Yeah. That's such a great way of sort of seeing that difference as well. Because I've, I've asked that question in previous episodes and I don't think I've had it described quite in that way. And it's such a great way to sort of see how family has actually changed a lot of it like a lot of my parents if they if they if I were to ask them what family holds and the importance that it holds this means that blood is family and if I ask my grandparents the same thing it would probably be a similar answer but now I think we've developed that change in family being like okay it means a sense of belonging it means whether it's a chosen family or whether it's a blood family it's a family that you found a sense of I belong here I choose to be here I want to be there and um I love the way that you sort of separated the two and the way the viewpoints that we see because I think it's it's something that I I'm a big believer in that family is it doesn't have to be blood it can be who you've chosen and sort of seeing 
I've never quite seen it in a different way before. So it's, that's such a great way of sort of um, sharing your viewpoint. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Now, children get older, turn to adults, and usually start looking to build their own family, sometimes neglecting the position that they once held in, in a family. In your opinion, what are some of the common sources of conflict between grandparents and their adult children? Well, I count myself as really lucky because I have access to my grandchildren whenever and however you know I can have them. They love me to have their kids and to share time with them, and the kids love to share time with me. So I count myself lucky, but I know a lot of parents, um, grandparents who have conflict with their children or with their children's partners and they're isolated from their from their grandchildren and I just couldn't even imagine the heartbreak that I would feel if one of my grandchildren either didn't want to spend time with me or their parents didn't want them to spend time with me I would find that oh absolutely heartbreaking so the con there are conflicts in families of course there are I have um, children, my three beautiful daughters who all have slightly different beliefs, just slightly, but you have to navigate those beliefs when you're looking after those children. You know, like one, one of them is into meditation and spirituality and it would be fine to go there with, their, with um, her children, but another one would find that really irritating. So you have to know the parents and know what they want for their children and not cross that barrier. I try very hard not to do anything that's going to really irritate them and mm -hmm. cause them not to trust me with their children because trust, it's just such a huge thing. When you're sending your child anywhere on a play date with a grandparent, trust is the most important thing. We can't send our children into an environment where we don't know how they're going to come out. So um, I think the main conflict for me is mm -hmm. the negotiation between the different parenting styles, the different beliefs of the parents. And you, you're bringing in a new family as well. When you've got an in-law, suddenly you've got a whole new group of people that you didn't know before. And now you're mm -hmm. sharing grandparenting with them. Yes. Yeah, no, that's a very, it's a very good point because my... Um... My cultural background is that I'm half Malay and half um, from New Zealand as well. So there's kind of that huge cultural conflict in terms of what the way that I was supposed to be raised, the way that my sister and I were to be raised. And um, my parents, they agreed that they're going to raise me in a way that they both felt comfortable rather than just the cultural way that a child is perceived to be raised by both of my grandparents. So there was a whole lot of conflict when um when i when we were younger and growing up and sort of seeing how um punishments went and punishments sort of like okay it meant in my family it meant taking the tv away for um for a week or not going out and seeing my friends on the weekend and things like that whereas my grandparents type of punishment was um was okay everything needs to be spoken out or um we need to say oh we still love you we still care and it was very much a focus on 
like a coddling kind of punishment rather than, okay, we need to have a huge discussion. We need, and I'm like crying in my bedroom, but my grandparents are saying, okay, we still need to say that we love them. We still need to say that. And punishments were not a thing in my family. And that, so it's sort of like saying there's that whole lot of different ways of parenting, but it sort of undermined the way that my parents parented me and my sister whenever the grandparents were around. Yeah, that's a huge difference, isn't it? And it and it's a common difference too, because now we're, we're, our cultures are, um, are coming together from different cultures all over the world. So your mm-hmm. situation would be something that's quite um, frequent now and quite common. So that's mm-hmm. the na- navigation, isn't it? And especially if when the grandparents have such different belief systems. And sometimes what you find is when people come to another country, they mm-hmm. stay stuck in however the country was when they left it. So the rules, the beliefs, yeah. the what they wear, all those things, it's like they become a time warp. And so then they're viewing this new world in this exact same way and they don't grow and change with the world that they're in. And that can create a problem too because, you know, the world that they were in, the country that they were in has grown and changed. Mm -hmm. But in their mind, they're stuck in exactly Mm -hmm. how it was before. Yeah, no, that's a a really good point. I always find that um, with a lot of my friends' relatives and how attached they are in a cultural sense and it's sort of, it's different in the world that we are and having that conversation of um, whether what they're wearing is appropriate or the time that they are allowed to be out is appropriate and just sort of that parenting style that's very different to how they're used to parenting. So how would you go ahead and manage some of those conflicts that could arise, um, whether it's between the grandchild and the grandparent or even the grandparent and the adult child? <laughs> Um, I think as a grandparent, you have to learn to be flexible. You have to learn to try to really understand where your children are coming from and what they mean. I don't always agree with their parenting. You know, sometimes, you know, I might roll my eyes and go, you know, but I have to understand that they're not my children. These children belong to my children. And so although I'm lucky enough to get a chance to influence them, um, I have to stick to the belief, unless, of course, I thought it was harming the child. Then I'd stand up and scream from the rooftop. But um, mostly it's that ne- trying to ne- navigate or educate, if you need to educate, in some gentle and loving way, a bit like your grandparents. You know, we really love you, but let's have a conversation about this. What do you think this might mean? So... Mm-hmm. You know, in navigating it, what I'd say is it it can be difficult, but you need to be able to think about where the other person's coming from and try to stand in their shoes. And especially when you're talking about teenagers, because looking after teenagers can be, you know, a very difficult time. They're breaking out. They're trying to find out who they are. And so Mm -hmm. everyone's getting frustrated. So, you know, a grandparent might think, what are you doing letting that child out at night? whatever they're doing that you don't agree with. And the parent might be going, but I'm doing the best I can. You know, I'm trying to give them freedom and I'm trying to understand them. 
So I think that's where the conflict um, can arise. But as a grandparent, compassion, the most you can have is compassion and to try not to be mm-hmm. judgmental of what your children are doing and how they're choosing to bring up their children. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to, and I always always have wondered this, when it comes to the times where the grandparent becomes the um, sort of the babysitter for the day or looking yeah. after their grandchildren for the day, how did they sort of go, how do you go about the parenting style that, the child is used to be parenting and your own sort of view on how parenting should be? So what I try to do, because um, I'm all about love and all about being heart-centered, I try to just be myself Mm -hmm. and to be focused on those things. So I try to teach love. So for me, if my grandchildren grow up and they're um, heart-centered, they're compassionate, they're community-minded, and they've got a really good heart, a good spirit, then I'll feel mm-hmm. like um, that I don't care what they do. I don't care what job they do. I don't care where they live. I just want them to be good human beings. So I just see that as my role. So instead of um, when they come to me, they come to me to have fun mm-hmm. and for me to play with them and teach them things. So I teach them how mm-hmm. to love. So the little um, two-year-old, you know, she gets her dolls. She likes to practice them falling off something and saving them. You know, she picks them mm-hmm. up and she saves these dolls and she kisses them and she asks them if they're better. And if they're not better, we yeah. get a bandage and we put it on the doll's leg. So that might just seem like play, but what this is, is training them and teaching them um, how to respond when someone hurts themselves and how to look after them. So I'm actually every mm-hmm. way... They wouldn't really know it, but I'm teaching them how to be compassionate people in the world, how to say sorry. So when the doll falls off the, the side of whatever it's on and she's caught it, I go, say sorry, I'm sorry. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. So when we do something over and over again, pardon me, over and over again, what we're doing is we're creating neural pathways. So I'm mm-hmm. helping my grandchildren create pathways to say they're sorry. Now, I make mm. lots of mistakes, and so that gives me the opportunity to say to them, Grammy made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And so for them now, when they make a mistake, it's really natural for them to be able to say to me that they're sorry. So mm. I, I might take them for a walk and teach them how to look at beautiful things. So we live near the beach, so we might look at the water, the birds, we might have a day when we go and look for heart-shaped things. There's a lot of heart-shaped mm-hmm. plants out there or heart-shaped rocks or, um, you know, trying to get them engaged to see things that are beautiful because then instead of seeing things they don't have, like, oh, I wish I had that or I wish I had this feeling like there's not enough, I'm teaching mm-hmm. them about all the beautiful things in the world and how you've only got to look for them and they're all around you. So I try to, rather than think about having a grandparenting style, I try to teach Mm. compassion, love, understanding, and not to do it against their parents' belief systems. So having it generic, you know, normal, looking at things, being happy, loving, being compassionate. Mm -hmm. So did you have, when it comes to that 
conversation that you would have with as a grandparent to your adult child, how would that conversation go when sort of trying to figure out what their parenting style would like to be and how they would love their child to be parented? Well, you know, I have different children. So one child, one of my children focuses on, you know, really developing their children to be whatever they want to be in the world, to be strong and clear and compassionate and community minded. Mm -hmm. And another one of my children really loves their children to be out there, to be strong, to um, do things that are adrenaline producing, you know, to be brave and strong and um, just they both want the best for their children, but they're going about it in two totally different ways. Mm -hmm. So what that, um, and my third child is the sweetest, softest, kindest, compassionate um, daughter. So her children are a little bit more um, timid and shy and a little bit quieter, but they're also a lot younger. Mm -hmm. I, I think I even forgot the question, Dina. No, that's okay. I was merely asking if there was that conversation or if grandparents should have that conversation with their child to figure out how they want their children to be to be parented or the parenting style that sort of suits them a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a minefield. You know, you have to be okay. really careful about um, stepping in and telling them or asking them about their parenting style or you know, one child would be able to articulate really, well, maybe two would clearly articulate their parenting style. Another one would just think, you know, why would you want to talk about it? Let's just get them mm -hmm. to do things instead. So I think you have to be really careful about asking the question about how they want to parent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I have, and I've spoken this in the previous episode as well, when it comes to um for example, as a baby or the baby's crying, when we talk about, okay, some people want to, some parenting styles want to be, want their child to be coddled and sort of picked up immediately, or some will try to teach them to be self-soothers. So when it comes to the grandparents sort of, not input, but the, when they're looking after the child as well, is that sort of something that you would try to do just based on what their parent, their parenting style of the adult also wants to be respected? Well, that depends on how far I'd be prepared to go because if if you were doing the letting your child cry to go mm -hmm. to sleep, controlled crying, I think they call it, there's no mm -hmm. way I could participate in that because for me, a child needs to be nurtured and loved. You can still teach them to self-soothe to um, you can still go in and nurture them and tell them they're safe and do all those things. But if I was babysitting mm -hmm. and they wanted me to let a child cry, I'd have to say I can't let them cry. I, I could let them cry for a second, for a minute, to see if they're going to settle, mm -hmm. but I couldn't, I couldn't babysit while a child was screaming in the room because that would totally go against who I am. So I would be able to have that conversation. So it depends on the level mm -hmm. of... But if it's something that I think, oh, I probably wouldn't do it that way, um, but mm -hmm. they've chosen that way, then I wouldn't have a conversation at all. But if it's something that okay. grates on my nerves and I think is really, really important, like screen, letting a child scream, um, then I would say I would say my piece. They probably think I'm really strong at saying my piece, but there's a lot of things as a grandparent mm -hmm. you don't say. Sometimes it's important not to say and just to do. 
you know, if a child's screaming, yeah. to pick them up and cuddle them and to try to diffuse whatever situation's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's merely about, I think, respecting both sides, both boundaries and both um, limitations because I think a lot of parents would feel the same way or grandparents would feel the same way about letting a child cry and knowing that nurturing is such an important part of um, being there for a child and supporting a child no matter the ages. So what would some of your strategies be when coming to provide childcare and support without sort of overstepping those boundaries? I think it goes back to, um, you know, just coming from love. If I just focus on being a loving grandparent and helping my grandchildren learn love, then mm -hmm. I'm not actually buying into the parenting beliefs of any person. I mean, you might walk into... Um, look after a grandchild and they might be having conflict you know they might be yelling at each other they might one child might be crying because they didn't get what they want so it can be awkward when you walk into those moments when you know those moments when you feel like you could cut the air with a knife that oh there's a bit of tension in here and so mm -hmm. you actually got to step back and because often you can't say what's going on because you can't say that in front of the child so often you can only just walk in and be the best version of yourself in a loving in a loving way. So it can be quite um, difficult at times, but none of that outweighs the love and the joy that you get. Sometimes when I open the door, mostly when I open the door at my daughter's house, her two-year-old runs up and jumps into my arms and cuddles me, squeezes me as hard as she can. She goes, I love you, Grammy. Mm -hmm. I miss you. Yeah, it's just the most, you, I can't tell you how heart-opening it is as a grandparent when you don't have any of those other pressures that you can actually be in your heart and soak up all that love. You've got time to soak up the love. You're not just going, oh, thank you, giving her a kiss and putting her down. You're actually cuddling and loving and really enjoying. So even in conflict, as a grandparent, you can stand in the space of love. And I think one of the things that is also really interesting is when it comes to providing that childcare for your ground your grandchildren. How do you balance achieve balance when providing those childcare that childcare availability and also trying to get your children to understand your own personal time and your own personal commitments as well? It's a difficult one because. Um... I'd be there every day. I'd have them here every day. You know, I just love it so much. But I have to remember that I still have a life that's mine to be lived as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. I'm writing, I'm doing all sorts of, you know, I'm doing artwork and I'm writing and I'm writing about humanity's heart and I'm doing things that make my heart sing as well. So it's like I get filled with this love and this joy from the grandchildren and then I've got to make sure that I leave space um, for me to also do other things apart from the grandchildren that bring me joy because this is the end of my life. This is my third, the third part of my life. I'm 70 in a couple of weeks and, you know, you know that you've got maybe 10 years, 20 years, something like that left. I have to make sure that mm -hmm. there's that balance. So sometimes mm -hmm. the balance swings the other way and I might do 
a little more than I need or I might be really tired. And then other times it's like a pendulum. It just swings one way or the other and you have to be just making sure that it swings towards you um, as often as you want. So having that boundary to go, look, I really am not available tomorrow because I wanted to have lunch with my friend. And they'd go, yeah, yes, that's not a problem. Um, we'll do something else. So it is that balance of being able to speak the truth and not just be mm-hmm. there continuously when um, another family needs you. Because when kids are little, you could be um, soaked up. The time that you have could be soaked up continuously because it's hard work and it's constant work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how would you suggest to other grandparents who are listening to this when where their children rely on them very heavily for childcare or for child support as well? Having the courage to um, first look at yourself and find out, is this what you want? And mm-hmm. if it's not, how you could tweak it a little bit so that it worked for both of you. So I'm, you know, I'm coming from a standpoint that grandparents absolutely love having their grandchildren and that it's a joy. But I, I guess if it's a full-time um, job, I guess it becomes a job rather than a pleasure. So making sure that there's some time that they're putting in for themselves um, without the grandchildren so that they can find out who they are and what they want and do the, the other things that really make them happy. You don't want to burn out your grandparents so that then they become the parents that are frustrated and tired and maybe overreacting because they're doing it too often. So the balance is to be Mm -hmm. brought about by the grandparent really asking for what they want. My children would never ask me for more than I wanted to give and they would easily accept a no from me. I don't give no very often Mm -hmm. because I don't want to. But when I say I'm not available, they're just like, okay, no worries and they would never ask me to do something that was that permanent that I felt closed in by the structure yeah Mm -hmm. no that's that's such a great um suggestion because I think it's and I've heard I've see a lot of comments about that constantly as well when it comes to the amount of support that a grandparent can give and like you said earlier there's only so much that you can make time for there's only so much that you also want to live your own life and um go see what retirement is and sort of enjoy the retired years of not having to constantly be at work and the hustle and bustle of working constantly as well so i think that's such a great way and i think having that conversation seems like it's really important and seems um for a lot of people seem like a really difficult thing to the fact that they have to say no to being there for the grandchildren and also making it seem like they still care about them at the same time. So that's that huge juggle between the emotional yes and the emotional understanding of, okay, I can't be there all the time. So no, that's a great suggestion to sort of have. And just the amount of honesty that's probably needing to have with a lot of grandparents is probably one that they have to be honest with themselves as well, I guess. And, you know, throughout your life, it's, it can be difficult to be that honest. In a lot of different places, we, we haven't been honest um, in requesting what we wanted probably for most of our lives. And now, you know, it is time that we were able to say, this is, this is how I want this part of my life. 
And of course, there's always conflict too between the grandparents. So, you know, you might find one grandparent wants to have the children around all the time and the other grandparent doesn't want them around at all. So there's not only the conflict between the parents and the grandparents, but also between each other as grandparents. Sometimes um, one parent just wants to do their own thing all the time. They don't want to have little children under their feet. Well, they might be unwell. And so having Mm -hmm. children irritates them. And then that's not good for the children either because you don't want the children being responded to in grumpy ways. You don't want them around grumpy grandparents. So you have to also balance that conversation between your partner and yourself so that it's it's a balance. So you get to have what you want and they get to have what they want as well. So it might mean instead of bringing the grandchildren to your home, you might go to their house instead because then the other grandparents not got the children around their feet if that's not what they want. No, that's a really good point. And I think like I was just thinking about it, but when it comes to grandparents, I think a lot of people forget that they're not authority figures anymore. They've retired or authority figures. They're not the they're not the person that's having to um, raise the kids. And I think like a lot of people that I've spoken to, and I think a lot of the grandparents of um, friends of my grandparents that I talk to as well, when they come to their children and their grandchildren coming over, being dropped off almost every weekend, just so the grand, this is the parents have some time to themselves. I think it sort of becomes between them being the grandparent and being the authority figure. So there's that huge boundary that is being crossed quite frequently. That's so true. That's so true. And I think this generation is probably stronger in asking for what they want. You know, they're stronger in saying, I'm not coping, I need a weekend off or give me a break. Um, Whereas in my generation, you would never have asked for that. You know, you you would just head down, bum up, do the job, um, get frustrated. And, you, you know, if I could wind back the clock and change something, it would be to be more present in a loving space with my kids and not that frustrated, tired, burnt out um, parent that I was. So when Mm -hmm. I see any of my children frustrated, I just know, I absolutely know um, what that feels like. So I I don't actually judge them too much when they lose it because they don't lose it as much as I did. You know, I think each generation, the parenting's got better and better, to be honest. Um, but the world's a more complicated mm-hmm. place. You know, you didn't have to worry about the internet or all those things. We would we would play on the street. We would run under the sprinklers in our bathers. You know, we weren't worried that there were strangers looking at us or, you know, it was a much freer society. Everyone in the community was watching the kids. So people would know that you were up the street playing football on the road or whatever it is that you would never allow your children to do now. So the world has certainly come um, to a different place. And some of it's fantastic and some of it's not so fantastic. Yeah, no, that's very true. I think with the world being what it is, I think it's a little bit more difficult to... um, I think I remember I used to have um, chances where I rode around bikes with friends of mine just down in the neighborhood and we all joined together and just rode together. But that was when I was very young and it was not so focused on the dangers of the world like we are focused on it today. So the whole world has definitely changed and 
parenting probably changed because of that as well. So I would love to get to know some of your practices and some of your habits as well when it comes to the support that you give to your grandchildren. So what would what would you be as some of your experiences provide support for grandchildren while navigating the conflicts that sent, that can sort of happen within a family? Right. Um, one of the things I'd like to talk about is how, you know, sometimes you see parents down the street and one kid's run off, they're running towards the road um, and the parents are yelling and the more the parents yell, the faster the child's running away. So... Yeah, I mean, I like to try to take that conflict back. So I've been training my grandchildren in a thing that I created called Go, Go, Stop. So we're walking along the street and then um, one of the, either the children or I, someone says, stop. And we all just freeze. No one's allowed to move. When someone yells out, stop, we stop. And we stop until the person who said stop says, go. So we practice that when we walk. And that I mean, the two-year-old thinks it's hysterical. But when we yell out, stop, she stops. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. if she's running towards a road and we yell out, stop, she freezes. So there's no chasing after children. Um, so for me, what I'm trying to do is take away some of those conflicts that I know are going to happen. I know they're going to go out somewhere and one of the children are going to run away or something's going to happen where they're going to be chasing them. So I'm building in strategies from um, younger than two. So um, the five-year-old, she loves to play it and she loves to be in control. So she loves to tell us to stop and we all stop. No matter when they tell us to stop, we stop. But it's important when you have a strategy like that not to overuse it. So then if the parents start going stop doing that, stop doing this, and they keep repeating the word stop, then it loses its power. So for me, Mm -hmm. I've created the word stop to mean stop. You're in danger, not stop, I don't like you doing that, or stop, you know, I'm trying to build in something that's going to save their lives from running away. So when you talk about um, strategies for conflict, I'm always seeing something that's not quite right and thinking, how am I going to teach that? You know, how am I going to teach them love? So from really tiny, I would sign I love you to my grandchildren. I'm not even sure my signing's quite um, up with Ausland, but I'd go, you know, I love you. And so they would sign back to me. So now they just love to be part of that signing. Well, we don't have anyone who's deaf in our family, hearing impaired is what I'm supposed to say, isn't it, in our family, but... They love to say goodbye. They go, I love you. And so it just fills their heart. So from the beginning, I would get my stethoscope out because I, I had one from my years of nursing. And mm-hmm. um, they'd listen to the heartbeat. Well, then I get to tell them that everybody in the world, their heartbeat is the same. So as a humanity, as a group of people, we're the same. Our hearts all beat the same. We'd have long hair, short hair, be tall, be shorter. None of that matters because at the level of the heart, we're all the same. So I get to teach those things. So that's going to prevent. So I guess I'm more at preventing um, conflict Mm -hmm. rather than looking at a conflict and having a strategy for it. It's more for me building these things in so 
The children know where they can go to get comfort. They know where they can go. They know they can talk about stuff without being in trouble, you know, that if I mm-hmm. tell them what I did. For me, when I was a child, I was terrified to tell the truth. You know, if I told them I did something, I'd be in so much trouble. So I was just frightened. So even when awful things happened to me, I never told a soul because I was frightened that I would get blamed. So for me, Mm -hmm. um, getting these children to know that they can come and they can speak to their mum and dad and they can speak to us and they won't be in trouble and we can try to work out um, to fix a problem. When When you've made a mistake... Um, what do we do? We say we're sorry and then we figure out what do we have to do to fix it. So we dropped a glass and it smashed. Well, we can't put the glass yeah. back together, but we can fix it. We can get the brush and the shovel and we can uh, dustpan and we can put it in the bin and we can clean it up and then we can say to whoever owns the glass, we're sorry that we dropped the glass. And then it's all over. So I think, can you see where I'm heading for prevention, Dina? Yeah. No, I can definitely see it. I love, I love the go-go stop to begin with. I think that is such a great way of um, teaching a child, okay, this is when you really do need to stop, for example, like crossing the street, stopping and looking and keeping an eye out. And I think like when it comes to people overusing the word, the word stop and I think really defining what stop should actually mean when it comes to um, preventing a lot of bad things that could happen, whether it's life-threatening or um, compared to just, okay, this is not what I want you to do. I think that's such a great way. And I love the idea that you have of preventing things before they come about rather than, okay, this is the situation and how do I manage it after it's already happened? So I think um, preventing is probably a really great way of of describing it rather than just, okay, finding a situation and finding out ways to handle it. So I can definitely see how you're going with that in terms of prevention. Um, What are some of the challenges that you have found when trying to put in preventary manners rather than just seeing a situation as they're appearing? Um, So can you give me an example? Um, For example, some of the challenges could be um, not really seeing what what a situation could happen beforehand and sort of you say that you put in those preventary me- um, measures without sort of seeing the situation and building up to it. How would you personally define what a preventary matter would be to you? Right. So I'm thinking that, you, that when I'm, um, I'm sort of layering strategies all the time. So the go-go stop is laying a strategy so that if they're near a road, we can keep them safe. So I know that the danger is crossing the road. And Mm -hmm. we know that if you go on your bike without a helmet, the danger is that you, if you fall over, you're going to crack your skull and you're going to be in hospital. And if you're lucky, you'll survive. So um, what I'm about is making sure that when you put your children on a scooter from two to 102, mm-hmm. you know, to whatever age that they know, they don't go on there without a helmet. So when mm-hmm. I say preventative, it, it's actually being consistent all the way along. So if you go, oh, you'll be all right. We don't have a helmet. We didn't bring it. You'll be okay for a little while. That won't work. It's like always telling them that you never get on your bike without a helmet. And it wouldn't matter if all your friends 
they don't wear helmets because it's not cool, that's okay, but you you don't get on your scooter then. You, you don't get on your bike or mm-hmm. your scooter without a helmet. So there's this group of absolute rules. You know, you have these rules in, in um, a family and they're absolute. Now, a hundred other families might let their children go up and down the street without helmets on, um, ride up on the road in their on their bikes when they're not meant to. You know, they may have really loose rules. And then when you come in with your child and you've got this strict rule, helmet, then the risk is they're going to be judged. They're going, people are going to tell them they're stupid. You know, you don't need to wear that helmet. We don't wear one. It's building that resilience and that, that ability beforehand to go, well, I'm not allowed on my bike unless I've got a helmet. So, and I feel safer when I've got a helmet. So, when you're putting the helmet on the child, it's about saying to them, oh, doesn't it feel safe when you've got a helmet on? You know, if you bump your head, um, it's not going to get hurt. So you're building in the responses so that then later they can go, well, I feel safe when I've got a helmet on my head. So mm-hmm. it's also, can you see now we're preventing bully being affected by a bully? So we're already going, you don't mm-hmm. have to be one of the crowd and do what they want to be like to be. You have to do what's right for you and for your body. So these little things mm-hmm. that we're teaching them along the way actually are to prevent the conflict later because there'll always be some sort of conflict and, mm-hmm. you know, some children will navigate through it really well and some children will struggle. And I guess what I'm trying to do is give them the layers to be able to deal with that con- their um, conflicts. You know, and bullying is one of those things that seem it just seems to be more prevalent now than it was um, when we were growing up. And I guess that's because we've got media and we've got other ways. And for some reason, it just seems to be talked about more, more obvious. It seems to be harder to stop. So all we can do is to build that um, resilience in the children that they know they can stand up for themselves and you know, what other people, there's a saying, what other people think of me is none of my business. So, mm-hmm. you know, going, whatever they think, they think. You can't control what another person thinks. You can only control your reaction to it. No, that's that's very true. And I think when it comes to having those preventative measures, I think that's such an important part of of what it means to sort of alert a child that these are the dangers without sort of saying these are the dangers as well. They're sort of setting in, this is where your boundary as not only a grandparent, but as a parent as well. And these are the boundaries that you're expected to not go over and not um, resist in any way. And I think teaching them at a young age, I think is definitely going to be more impactful rather than sort of starting these out as they're sort of picking up on the dangers that sort of come in. Well, it's it's a bit it's very hard to try to teach these strategies to a teenager when they're already stuck. You know, everything's caving in on them, and your words then would be like water off a duck's back. You know, it, they wouldn't be penetrating, yeah. they wouldn't be heard. Whereas when they're built in into a child's growth, all we're really doing is helping a child develop skills. You know, finding mm-hmm. out. What I love is um, my friend Rosina does win-win parenting. And what I love is that she looks at a situation and goes, what's missing here? What skill does a child need 
to know to navigate through this part of the world for them or this moment or this event. And um, her teachings really influenced me in the way that now I look at a child, even if they're throwing a tantrum, and I'm thinking, what is it that you need? What is it that you don't understand? And what can I teach you right now to change this? I mean, it's a bit hard if they want a chocolate. They're not allowed to have one and they're going crazy. Of course, we all know that distraction is the way to fix that. So, you know, you're distracting mm. them away from the chocolate, not just saying no and sending them off to screens in the corner of a room somewhere. So I see it like a Sarah Lee cake, layer upon layer upon layer. You just, at every opportunity, you're teaching them something else. So not like the old way where you're going, if you don't do that, you're going to be in big trouble. It, it never mm. worked, did it? Just never worked. Um, they used to say to me, if you're really bad, the policeman will come and he'll um, lock you in a cell and he'll throw away the key. And I was terrified. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah. d therefore, you were never able to come and say, oh, I've made this mistake because you were terrified that something bad was going to happen. Now, even when you're old enough to know that that's not going to happen, you've still got that neural pathway, that response, that fear that something bad will happen because it's inside you, you know, it's in your brain. You've in So that's why I'm trying to teach love and teach um, being able to say you're sorry and acceptance. And when you're compassionate to a child, you're teaching the child to be compassionate to others. And so teaching humanity, compassion, love, and safety, teaching how to be safe in the world. But also, don't forget fun. Like they put on the music and I dance. Am I a good dancer? Absolutely not. Do they think I'm a good dancer? Yes, they do. Fantastic. Doesn't matter what you do, they think you're good at it. So um, having um, joy. If you have joy with them, then they want to come. So I have an art room, so they love to come and play art. Sometimes I'm not in the mood for art because they make a mess. You know, they make absolute. But mm -hmm. when you see the joy and the sense of satisfaction they have on their face, when they say, we do butterflies, so you put paint and you fold the piece of paper in half, and when you open it like a raw shark, it's this beautiful butterfly. But the, the actual joy on their face is unbelievable when they go, oh, I made this. Look how beautiful this is. So giving them a sense that they can create, they can do, and um, I just love that, Dina. No, I I love it, and it sort of reminds me of so much of my childhood as well when being around my grandparents as a kid. So there's that huge amount of memories that came flashing back just then as you were mentioning it. And I think I love the idea of raising a child out of love rather than fear, and I think sort of separating that and really having that boundary, that understanding within yourself as well, that that's what, that's how you want a child to be raised or that's how you hope that this child does get raised. There's that huge amount of, okay, raising them to know the bad in the world without really knowing the bad in the world. I think that's such an important part as well, sort of beforehand. And um, I, I think I do remember the, the saying that, oh, I think, you know, dad, dad will um, take away Santa for 
Santa won't be coming to the house or he won't be visiting, dropping presents off for Christmas. So there's that huge um, understanding for that as well when it comes to the threats that could be made, knowing full well that that could not happen. Um, but still, there's that there's that thought being like, okay, so if I misbehave, it's not going to go well or I'm not going to get... Um, there's no not going to be anything good for me at the end of it. So why misbehave? So there is that um, separation between raising them out of fear and love. And you definitely see it as you get older as well. So there's there's that. Um, now we're going to be talking into my favorite section, which is the open mic part of the show. This gives you a chance to talk about anything that you feel passionate about, that you want to share with the audience, um, or something that you want to promote as well. So in the last minute or so, I'd love to give you the floor and talk about anything that you have on, on in your mind today. Oh, what a wonderful um, idea that is. I'd like to talk to you about humanity's heart. So can you see the heart above my shoulder? Yes. So I create artwork called Humanity's Heart. So that's one of my pieces of artwork. So um, oh, I like to teach about the heart. And, you know, there's so many judgments in the world about what colour you are, how tall you are, whether you're um, overweight or whether you're too skinny or whether, you know, there's a million reasons why someone could judge you. And so... Um, what I want to teach people is that at the heart level of the heartbeat, we are all the same. So mm -hmm. when you take all those judgments away and you just feel that beautiful heart centre in people and you approach people in that heart-centred way, then all those other things that you may have thought, learnt, been told, um, seen in the news, you know, that um, different cultures might behave in different ways and bring fear up, what I'm trying to do is work away from that and to come back into the centre of humanity's heart. So I do writing. Um, I'm writing a book about humanity's heart and about how we can bring more love in the world. So, you know, when people find, for example, that they're having trouble making a decision, go, all you have to do is say, is that decision moving you towards the person that you want to be or away from it? Is that new job going to take you towards who you think you are in the world or away from who you are? That relationship, will it bring you towards love or away from love? So um, mm -hmm. my absolute passion is um, humanity's world. So what I want to do is take my hearts around to communities and get um, people to hold the heart and see that they belong to that heart. So that you, no one's ever really alone in the world. We all belong to humanity's heart. We all belong to the the one group called humanity. And so mm -hmm. when you're feeling isolated or alone or that you don't belong or that you're different to other people in some way, actually you don't. You belong to humanity. You're part of humanity's heart. And the energy that you put out into the world um, creates the energy of humanity. So if you put more love in the world, the world will be more loving. If you look for love, mm -hmm. you'll see love. Um, if you're frustrated and you put frustration in the world, then that adds to the frustration in humanity. Like I've got friends who don't watch the news and they don't watch the news because they don't want to be influenced by the fear and the drama and the anxiety that 
watching the news can do. If you watch the news too often, you wouldn't walk out the front door because you'd be too scared. So I'm about releasing all that and getting into mm-hmm. your heart space and, and just seeing. And it doesn't mean you always have to just give everything to other people either. It actually means standing up and knowing that you're part of humanity. So you get to have what you want and you get to share what you want. So um, in loving humanity, you actually love yourself. That's my passion, <laughs> Dina. No, that that is an amazing passion. Thank you so much for sharing sharing that. I think I love the heart of the background. It's so I was wondering what that kind of artwork that is because I've never seen anything like that before. So um, that's amazing that you've – is it painting or is it – It's epoxy or... resin with ink. So, ah, okay. Yeah. So it's shiny and sparkly. No. So it's got little yeah, sparkles wow. in it. Yeah, you can't see them on oh, no, camera, but little incredible. sparkles. Yeah, no, it looks incredible. I, I've got a um, one of the hosts of another show that we have is a very big, um, she loves art, she loves crafts. So um, I'm definitely going to send her a photo or a link to this episode because I think she'd absolutely love that. So no, thank you so much. And I love the mission that you're on as well and trying to really promote humanity's heart. I think it's something that we all really, especially after COVID and after everything that we've all been through as not just a country, but as a whole global global situation, we've all dealt with it. We've all grown from it. We've all learned so much from it. So it's great to know that we have this amount of community that we're, that we're still involved in, that we're still fighting for at the end of the day. So no, I think that's such a great mission that you're on. And I'm really, I applaud the amount of work that you're doing for that. And Dina, this has been a really lovely interview. I really love your heart and your beautiful smiley face and the way that you've really listened and engaged. It's been a really beautiful experience. So thank you. No, thank you. I should be thanking you for coming onto the show. You've done so much in teaching us and sort of a lot of your, not just expert opinion, but a lot of your personal opinions when it comes to how to connect grandparents within the family and try to still make them feel included in the new family dynamic that we have. So no, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Now, if there's a way that audience members would like to get in contact with you or maybe find out a little bit more about Humanity's Heart and be a part of the project, is there a way that they're able to reach you and find out a little bit more? Sure. Um, My email address is drrobinmills at icloud.com. And I'd be happy to field any emails. That would be great. And if there's community centres or groups that would like me to bring humanity's heart to them and um, help them bring their communities together, then I'd be very happy to do that. Oh, that sounds great. Well, I'll definitely have the link down to your email down below and definitely go and check out um, Robin's Humanities Heart, I think, and get, definitely get in touch with her. I think there's a whole lot of communities out there that should be should definitely be a part of it. And I think we would love to promote that. I'm so glad we got to promote it here on the show. So thank, thank you, you so and much, Robin, for joining me. Thank you. And I just thought um, my art can be seen on www.drrobinmills.com. So it's drrobinmills.com. Thank you so much, okay. Dina. It's been a pleasure. No, it's been it's been amazing having you on the show and talking about this. I think it's such a um, a great way to sort of commemorate 
uh, Grandparents Day coming up as well. I think it's going to be, it's amazing. So definitely go also go and message um, grandparents that you have or grandparents that you, both grandparents or any grandparent that you have um, that you're thinking of them and wish them a happy Grandparents Day as well. I think it's going to be an amazing day, whether you send them some flowers or just reach out to them to let them know that you are thinking of them or, but definitely go have breakfast with them because it's such a big occasion that I think should be celebrated so much. So yeah, definitely go enjoy Grandparents Day. And thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you all in the next episode. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by the Family Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it so that we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at fa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent. Thanks for tuning in.